Let me talk at you. Welcome one and all to Not Just A Guy, the show about struggling storytellers. I'm your host, Not Just A Guy, the guy, Garrett Briones, and I am joined by a, a, a great duo. Uh, they wear many hats. I'm joined by Not Just A Guest, the, gay, the guest. One is a director, cinematographer, grip, AC, any role on a set you can think of, uh, she has done it. That is Caitlin Scardino, Kate. Uh, and then we have Valenice, writer, actor, producer, photographer, roller skater, whatever. She's good at all of them. Uh, they make up the collective Sad Girl Cinemas. Kate, Valenice, thank you both so much for being here. Thank you for having us. I I knew once I had this this show, I wanted to have you both. I think you, I follow you guys on every, basically every kind of social media that exists. Uh, and ha- And you guys are doing such interesting work, such you can feel the vibe that you guys are putting out that there, there is, there's something that I can, there's palpable. There's something that is unique. And I, you were the perfect struggling storytellers to have on this week. Yeah, we do be struggling. the spookiest. Yeah. Oh, that, you know, that's funny enough. That's the first thing I ask every guest, either one of you can answer in whatever way you want, but are you struggling? Oh yeah. <laughs> they don't call us sad girl cinemas for nothing. <laughs> I honestly, I should have seen that. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, I was going to save this question for the very end, but I want to ask right at the top, what does it take to be a sad girl? What, what if I want to be, if I'm an aspiring sad girl, what does it take to be a sad girl? I think, I think there's a really big misconception that you have to be a girl to be a sad girl. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's just not true. Like you can be any gender and be a sad girl. Okay. Um, I feel like sad girl is like defined by like, if you're sad and you romanticize it a little bit and like you listen to Lana and you watch sad movies to cry on purpose and you're just obsessed with like music movies all of that I don't know what do you think Val I think like life in general is like rather bittersweet like we have happens and we have like sad moments and then we die Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that death in general is bittersweet. And I feel like there's just like a constant twinge of melancholy to life, which is like nice. It's not like a bad thing. And I think that's what being like a sad girl is, is just like embracing that melancholy and that bittersweetness for what it is and then making art out of it and like expressing yourself with it and finding peace in it. I love that. When, how did you two stumble upon the name? Who, what, what was the event? When, who popped up with it? Was it a mutual? You both said it at the same time. How, how did that name come to be? I came up with it. I was like joking, okay. trying to come up with names for a company because we knew we wanted to start a production company. And I mm-hmm. thought like Kate would think it was silly because like we love Lana and we were always talking about how we're sad girls. So I was like, what about sad girl cinema? <laughs> and then Kate was like, wait, no, <laughs> that's the one. So yeah. Yeah. That, that's perfect. So I, I have a, I always want to start off at the beginning because that's where every story starts. Uh, and so for me, it's always, it's, I always think back to being a kid from a small town, you know, I watch something like star Wars. I see Luke Skywalker looking at the twin sons and I'm like, I got to do that. I got to make that thing. I see Jurassic park. I'm like, I got to make the dinosaurs, uh, for the two of you, what gave you that storytelling itch and what were some of your earliest creative projects that really kind of made you realize this is what I want to do. It's really funny for me. I used to watch a lot of movies with my brother and my dad Mm. And my parents were very overprotective, so they never really let us out of the house. So we always just watched movies and we would pretend like we were in them. Um, And then, like, I remember watching King Kong as a kid, the um, the 2006 one. I think it was 2004, 2006. And Mm. I 
really cool. And so I went up to my dad and I was like, dad, I want to be an actor. And he's like, you can't act. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like yes, can. And he was uh -huh. like, all right, go ahead then. You're Anne. King Kong is grabbing you. What do you do, Anne? Action. What do you do? And I was like, ah, ah. And he's like, see, you can't act. I'm like, motherfucker, you're right. Uh, and then, then <laughs> back to him, I was like, I can't act, but I can be a filmmaker. He's like, all right, that one sounds good. And then that's okay. kind of That's awesome. <laughs> Growing up, like, there was never a specific film that I watched and I was like, oh, like, I need to do this. Like, mm -hmm. I always made little movies with my sister and like we had her iPod touch and we would just like go out in the front yard and like goof off with like different techniques. And I remember she got this like guide to filmmaking book and it was okay. like for kids and like it was just like fun little like jump cuts and stuff like that. And so we would like mess around with that. And so I was always very bad at verbally telling stories um, and mm -hmm. I still am. I feel like Val can attest to that. I just suck at like telling stories, but um, I found that like visually telling stories was a lot easier for me to do. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, then like once I got into high school, I went into our media program there and like it just kind of blossomed from there. And then I realized like, wait, I can actually do this like as a career, like that's a possibility. And so okay. like, I got really excited. And then that's kind of how I fell into filmmaking. So I did extensive research before this episode. I, I went everywhere. I read everything I could. I watched everything I could to find out something I found very interesting is that you two worked on a uh, that Val, you cast Kate in a play if I if I'm if I got this information. <laughs> I want to know, was this the earliest creative partnership between the two of you did anything predate that and what what do you when you look back on that do you look back on it fondly did it lay the foundations for the sad girl cinemas we're seeing today um <laughs> definitely yeah, i don't so i think in the sense that kate just said she can't tell stories i learned mm -hmm. through that play i don't like directing i can't direct okay. maybe one, but after that i was like no and then i guess we just switched spots after that i <laughs> direct now so it worked out perfectly yeah that's crazy that you <laughs> you found <laughs> I know. That. i'm like uh, i like to bury that in my past because i had like, technical difficulties i know and I, like it was, I was there, it like, so bad <laughs> i didn't even have like a speaking role i don't think <laughs> i think she just had like one line yeah, in it. I had, like one line i was mm -hmm. like a freshman and you were like what a junior yeah, I was a junior. Okay. Yeah, and like that was like the first time because I knew her brother, and mm -hmm. like him and I were in the same grade. Gotcha. Um, but I feel like that was definitely the first time we worked together, and that introduced me into like drama and mm -hmm. theater and all of that. And so very grateful that she took a took a risk and. <laughs> Gave you your big break. Zone. I'm curious because uh, Valenice, you just said that it it made you not want to be a director. Would you two ever now? Would you would you reprise those roles? Would you direct something that Kate would act in? Was is that something that ever would want? Would you guys want to try and recapture that magic? Even if there was no speaking role, would you ever want to recapture that magic? I don't. I mean, I I would like to direct. Like I I'm planning mm -hmm. on. A music video which i'm like okay. like just excited about but like if baby girl wants to like act in something like she's always welcome to i actually <laughs> i actually 
funny enough, so when we were in high school, I wrote a script called How to Get Away with Murder. And it was based mm -hmm. on me and her and a friend group that we were in. And like at the time, I thought it'd be fun for us all to act in it. And like, you know, like I direct it. And then mm -hmm. it never happened. And then for shits and giggles, like earlier this year, I sent it to her and was like, oh, I don't know if you ever saw this, but I wrote this about our friends. So okay. I don't know. I don't know if like we talked about who would be directing that and like if we'll mm -hmm. get another director involved, but that's like TBD. So I don't know. I do not yeah, know. So, but be on the lookout. Be on the lookout. <laughs> I, I think that there's I think there's something there. When you tell people back home, like, hey, I'm gonna go, you know, across, I'm gonna go the other the other coast. What what's sort of the response? Like, even you know, I come from a small town here in California. And when you tell people that you're gonna be a filmmaker, they're like, awesome. What does that mean? Like, that's, I'm so happy for you. Oh, what do you even do? Uh, so what, what was the response like back home? Was it immediately like, yes, go, you got to go to Hollywood, the big bright lights. You know, what, what was that response from your family and friends? Um, I would say for me, it was more negative than positive. I okay. had a lot of people telling me like, you're going to miss this small town. Like you're going to wish you never left. And like, you should just stay here. And like, you know, every time I go home to visit, my family mm -hmm. is like, maybe you should just stay here. Just ship your stuff back and like live here still. And like, I know just because they miss me and everything. Yeah, like there were definitely those some people who were very supportive. My mm -hmm. my grandfather, actually, he always says to me, Hollywood or bust. And like that always sticks with me because I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, I have to like make it out here, you know, because yeah. if I don't like I'm letting down. Yeah. <laughs> What about you, Valenice? There was like, I, I people knew it was coming. I had always said when I was a kid, like I always knew as a child that I wanted to do this. And I feel very fortunate that I, I knew from the get-go what I wanted. My um, my mom was very neutral about it. She was just like, whatever. Like, of course she wanted me to like succeed. My dad was like the most encouraging about it. Despite him being like, you can't act. I'm like, honestly glad I have someone in my life who keeps it real, mm -hmm. you know, and it pushes me. But yeah, no, my family was like, supportive they knew it was going to happen eventually i had always planned for years that after i graduated college i was going to drive cross country and you know lay roots here and figure it out here okay. and so you you both do that you you land here you you're in the big city or big city uh and uh i want to know for you on my one of my previous episodes i had on felix malms Keller, uh, kate i know you're familiar with him uh when i asked i brought up that you're going to be on this episode uh, his res immediate response was, oh, you got Katie. And I said, yes. And I said, do you want to share anything about living together as roommates? And he immediately said, no, that was all <laughs> that he shut that down. And so, uh, speaking of him, he, he said something that I thought was very interesting was he talked about the idea of getting your foot in the door. And what does that even mean? Um, so I want to know for the two of you, how have you gotten your feet in the doors? Uh, is a weird way to say that. And, what do you think about that idea that, you know, uh, you know, someone just kind of up upends and comes here and it's not exactly, you know, it's not an industry where, you know, if you want to be a construction worker, you can find sites, you know, you get your certification, stuff like that. For for us as filmmakers, it's it's not as easy. Uh, wh what does the idea of getting your foot in the door mean to the two of you? Um, I think like something that you need to have when you come out here is like a unique style. Mm -hmm. and something that sets you apart from everybody else. I think that's like really important because everybody out here is trying to make it, you know, mm -hmm. but like what makes you different? Like what is special about you? What are you selling? What image are you selling? 
Um, I think like that's really important step to getting your foot in the door and like making a name for yourself and like putting yourself out there. I don't know. That's a, I don't, this is an interesting question. Um, I, I guess like for me, the only way I can like answer it is like anecdotally for me, like, mm -hmm. um, when I started my career, I was a freshman and I was a intern on a, a movie and I started working as an office PA in the production department. And I did that for five years. And I was kind of told that like, this is how you get your foot in the door. This is how you get attention. This is how like you make connections, and you meet the right people. But like after five years, like when I moved out to LA, I got another job PA on a HBO show. And at that point, I kind of realized that that whole idea of like getting your foot in the door, like by making connections, it doesn't fairly work that way depending on where you're at because like a lot of people just kind of looked at me like it didn't matter if I wanted to write they saw me as like a PA they're like oh that's cute gotcha. you want you're really good at doing receipts so keep doing that or oh that's great that you have aspirations but you're really great at order and crafty so they just kind of see you as that mm -hmm. so what I've learned is that in terms of getting your foot in the door I believe that the best route is to just create and put out there and put that energy out there and you know the right people will pay attention um okay. just like slowly climbing up that ladder it's not necessarily like you jam put in the door and you're there i feel like it's just it's more like a, a ladder and it's baby steps you know okay yeah i i fully uh, i fully understand what you're saying i think that 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 is very insightful because i know you know this being the show about struggling storytellers i think um you know, there is a good amount of people that they they get that initial kind of opposition and sometimes they make it in this town. Sometimes it breaks them. I, I can speak from personal experience. Uh, one of my, uh, you know, he was one of my best friends. He, he wanted to make it in this town and it just it kind of chewed him up and spit him out. And uh, it was really unfortunate to see. But um, but I really liked what you two are speaking to this, this idea of putting your head down, putting your heart and soul into your work and creating something that that shows people who you are as an artist and what you are contributing, what you are adding, what is you do your unique flavor. I can't even talk. I was getting so lost in what I was saying. Um, so I know that something you, you two work on together um, are, and I've watched a few of them are music videos. That is, that's one of the, you know, stepping stones for, for many directors. You know, my, one of my favorite directors, David Fincher, uh, that's where he started. Um, I wanted to ask you two, when you are working, I always, I'm always enamored by process. I always love behind the scene things. I always, uh, especially when I'm talking to other directors, other writers, I love to know where does your, what's your first step? Is it, is, would you say it's usually 50, 50 as in the band comes to you with an idea or you listen to the song, you come up with an idea. What's usually your first process when you're plotting out a music video? Um, I personally, like, I like to talk to the band first. If they come to me and they're like, Hey, I want to do this music video. I'm like, okay, what's your budget? What, mm -hmm do you have any ideas or themes or like anything that you want in this video? Do you already have like a set idea? Cause like mm -hmm. I've had bands come to me and be like, here is exactly what I want. I have booked the locations. I have everything ready. I just need you to hop on and direct it. Mm -hmm. And then I've had bands come to me and be like, I have no idea what I want to do for this. Um, take the reins and like do it. So I like to talk to them first and be like, okay, what are you thinking? What's your idea? Do you have any ideas already? And then if they do, I'll be like, okay, and I'll go and I'll listen to the song and I'll come up with my own ideas and kind of have like my own process and be like, this is what I'm thinking. How can we kind of merge these two ideas and create like a happy medium that works for both of us? And so far that's worked really well. Like there's never been a time where they've been like, 
or if they're like, oh, I don't like this idea. I'm like, okay, let's just change it then and make okay. something that we're all happy with, you know? Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to answer. I don't know. I guess. Oh, no, I you. Yeah, I would love to. I, I want both of your, uh, you know, seeing it from every, every hat that you wear, uh, seeing it from that every angle. I was just going to say, I get for me, because I mostly produce the music videos. It really mm -hmm. depends on like the nature of the video. Sometimes I'm really not doing much as a producer. And sometimes I'm like doing a lot. Like we had one music video that we shot at a roller rink, which was really cool okay, because yeah. it got to combine my passions like into yeah. um but that I one was like to show off a little bit. Yeah. But that one was like <laughs> lifting. And I knew people in the skate community. Like I know the owner of the skate rink that we shot at. Like I used to work there for a little bit. So that one was a little bit more involved. But for me, it really just depends. And then I okay. do I, I do BTS and shit. I like to Okay. We're always there taking photos and that's he does the best bts <laughs> always on film. i've seen some of the photos they are very very nice i i do like seeing your bts photos thank you the My glasses glasses fell off no we're not the glasses oh now the glasses are on we're getting crazy <laughs> Whoa. Over here. so i was uh to segue into your more narrative work and collaborations um with in comparison to the music videos are do you feel that it's a little more freeing because like thematically and visually than a standard beginning, middle end narrative? Um, and when it comes to Valenice, when it comes to time for you to write, what is your writing process? Are you, you know, a thousand sticky notes? Are you pinning up a bunch of index cards? Me, I, mean, I don't even, yeah. what, you where did your process friends? begin? Look at her friends. I was wondering no, what that was. I friend. was wondering this entire time. Act one, act two, act three. That's awesome. Closet. Oh my lord! And then it gets better. <laughs> this is a poster. I accidentally broke it, but they're just post-it notes all over it. My Holy wall has post-it notes. Front of the fridge, post-it notes. She's a post-it uh, note girly. Sponsor her. I was gonna yeah, say it looks like you're solving a murder or a conspiracy or something. <laughs> yeah, seriously. All over. That's awesome. So is it is um, that how you tend to start? For me, it's like um. A lot of the scripts that I've written, I, I started a long time ago, like playing pretend I wrote when I was 20. That was five years ago. That was four years before we shot it. Um, the next one that we're shooting, The Bitch of Venice Beach, I started that two and a half years ago. Um, mm -hmm. The How to Get Away with Murder, that was when I was in high school. So for me, like a lot of my scripts just take a lot of time and mm -hmm. um, I to breathe on it like I like to sleep on my writing whenever I write anything okay. even when I was in college I never turn it in until I've slept on it because I feel like with more time passing there's more insight and more understanding yeah. of what needs to happen and I feel like for me when writing there's a lot that goes into creating roles like playing pretend actually started from an essay I wrote um okay. when I was 20 and it was just about accepting the fact that I was an adult and I was entering you know my 20s and life was going to be different and I was in that essay, I talked about how I felt like I wasn't really an adult, like I have an adult job, like I, I moved out of my uh, my childhood home. And, you know, I was doing all these adult things, but at the same time, I still felt like a little kid running around in adult clothing that didn't yeah. really fit me. So that's mm -hmm. kind of where playing started from. And that's where like a lot of the ideas come from, just like essays or poems or diary entries or photos and it kind of just converges over time into like the final product okay okay i like that something i i'm struck by is i saw this uh, there's two quotes one 
One is from Kate. One is from Valenice. Kate, I'll ask you yours first. Uh, I'll ask you about yours first, and then I'll get to, to yours, Valenice. I actually have – I had to write yours down. Uh, Kate, you said that your work is very people-driven. What what exact – could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I like to tell stories for people who don't oftentimes get their stories told. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like my mission statement as a filmmaker – And that just means like opening the door for like people of color, queer people, and just like stories where minorities are placed in these lead roles and the story doesn't revolve around the fact that they're a minority. Gotcha. Like, because I feel like, you know, you watch like queer films and it's just the whole thing is about them being queer. And it's like, why can't we just have a version of the notebook with two girls instead of like a guy and a girl? Like, you know what I mean? So like, I, I really try to make my work like very people driven and Mm -hmm. driven by just like real life stories and stories about real life and stuff like that. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of what that means for me at least. Yeah, no that 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 is that is a great mission statement. I I, I completely love the the sentiment of that. And for Valenice, you've spoken about writing influence, and so I would love to hear the influence of. And let me make sure I'm reading this correctly. Daddy Shakespeare. Uh, I would like to know what influence he has had on your work, whether it's thematic, structure, language, I would love to hear about Daddy Shakespeare's influence. Daddy? Um, oh my God. No. Um, so funny enough, when I, I was an English major in college, I wasn't a film major. Um, mm-hmm. And I took a Shakespeare okay. class, I took a couple, and I hated it. Like, I, I always hated Shakespeare. I hated Shakespeare in college. I thought, like, he was so boring. Like, they get to the fucking point. Like, he had so many fun stories. And if I read the abridged version, I'd be like, okay, wow, this is interesting. Just, like, why did it take so long to get to this point? But then for whatever mm-hmm. reason, um, after I graduated college, I was, um, I was like, trying to think of a, a way to combine, like, I was trying to think of a, a, a way to write a, a roller skating short film, but I couldn't think of any ideas. So my dad was like, why don't you take an old Shakespeare play and adapt that? And I was like, okay. oh, that's actually a good idea. Then like, you don't have to worry about copyright or anything. So mm-hmm. I got the Merchant of Venice and I sat down and I really took the time to actually read it and digest it. And like, as I was reading it, I was like, all right, I see what these people are talking about. Like Shakespeare's got it going on. <laughs> I, okay. what, I love, what I love about him, because it is like very tedious to uh, read Shakespeare, but what's fun for me is like annotating and it's kind of like... Um, it's kind of like translating old English into real English. Mm-hmm. And I like to analyze his structure. I like to analyze the composition, the diction, the syntax, oh, yeah. the way he chooses words, the way mm-hmm. um, he implements iambic pentameter and the way it just lyrically flows. Cause I feel like in writing, there's a lot of um, structural things that people aren't aware of. And I'm very mm-hmm. fascinated why word, like why certain combinations of phrases sound so good and why others don't why certain writing is good and why it doesn't. And a lot of it can be um, zeroed down to like the structure of it. So that's why I like Shakespeare. And it's really influenced me to like play mm-hmm. around with writing and poetry has helped me as a screenwriter in terms of, you know, switching two words can make or break a line, um, finding a rhythm in it. Like in iambic pentameter, it's like ba-bump, ba-bump, ba-bump. And then scientifically, mm-hmm. 
we as human beings respond better to that because it sounds nicer and just finding a way to take that like inherit music in like his poetry and find a way to like put it in scripts without it sounding so like you know robust like Shakespeare but like more natural that's why I like him and I think a lot of his themes are incredibly timeless his stories like the characters are so deep and they're so relatable and this man was at a time when like you know art was unhinged and he kind of just said and did whatever he wanted and I think he was incredibly brave for that so that's why he's daddy but that is why he's daddy that mic drop right there (laughs) Uh, I love that. That that's that's awesome. You know, I look. I paid ungodly amounts of money uh, to a film school, and I never heard anything that that well structured and spoken about when it came to writing. Although I had great writing teachers, nothing against them. Uh, shout out Jack Weinstein. But uh, that that I love that 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 is a perfect way to to speak about influence and how um, how it's informing your work. I love that. Um, and speaking of. The, the you know how you're writing speaking of the mission statement of what is going into your work uh how would you two and we, we spoke a little bit about style how would you two describe your your style and is is the sad girl cinema style an amalgamation a combination of the two of your individual styles what would you say your style is if you had to put it to words i would say it's like indie sleaze sad girl raunchy okay but also a little bit classy, like red lipstick on a cigarette, you know? I always say sad, funny, hot girl. And I think that just per- okay. perfectly encapsulates and Caitlin are as people. Too. Like, we're, we're hot, we're funny, we like having a good time, <laughs> we're sad. Like, need I say more, you know? Just like the feminine experience. Yeah, and I would say it's a, it's a very fair amalgamation of our personal styles. Okay. And I think like our styles, I don't know, Val, what do you think? But I think like our styles have adapted to what our brand kind of is. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think like, I think you and I had our own shtick before and it kind of just like filled the gaps, you know, like yeah, we filled the did, gaps. Yeah. Especially because like, you know, Caitlin's a director. She is able to take like a script and visually represent it on screen, which is a skill in and of itself that's incredibly hard to acquire. And then like Mm. I the shit down, you know, so we kind of just filled each other's gaps and like Mm -hmm. all the skills that bring to the table, whether it's Caitlin's cinematography or her directing or my photography and my writing, like it just perfectly came together. And like, I think with Sagro just kind of grew from there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of of that, you know, having such a a strong professional, you know, partnership, uh, you know, and I I follow you guys on the social medias. Uh, I see, you know, you two look like you're out there having fun all the time. Um, What do you think it takes to having a strong uh, collaborative relationship that is both personal and professional? What do you think? What is it just about keeping things fun? Is it about, you know, just knowing what the other person wants? What what do you think it takes to keep that? Because I another quote I have here, is that I've seen that you have described each other as creative soulmates. So what goes into building that strong collaborative relationship? Um, I think it's like a once in a lifetime opportunity to like find somebody that you just mesh with so well and like Mm -hmm. you work with so well. Like I'm so grateful that like we reconnected later in life and like we're able to create everything. And I think like a really big part of like having a strong bond and like you know, in the workplace or whatever is like Mm -hmm. being able to give 
80% when Val can only give 20%. And like, okay. I've been in a position where I can sometimes only give 10% and she'll come up with the other 90% so that we're always at a hundred percent, no matter where we're at. And like, I think it's about communication. We're very good at like communicating. I feel like what's going on in our personal lives, what we're feeling in like the workplace, I guess we're calling it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I think we are creative soulmates and I'm very grateful that like we found each other and I, yeah, I don't know. What do you think Val? <laughs> I, yeah, no, you said it perfectly. I was going to say communication. I feel like any relationship, whether it be romantic or like friendship or with your family, I think the biggest thing, because people talk about how communication is important in romantic relationships, but it's equally as important in any relationship that you have, you know, working friendship, otherwise doesn't matter. I think communication is the big one. We're both, good at communicating we'll have our moments but like we're only human but we always yeah. come back no matter what you know like okay. always because at the end yeah, of the day I we think... love each other. It matters yeah um, and i think it's like important to also like have a distinction between your work and then your personal life like we go out all the time and we always have fun and and stuff like that and like if we get into a little fight which is like bound to happen in any yeah. friendship or like relationship you have with somebody like we'll still communicate about work. And then like, you know, if we disagree on something at work, we're like, okay. And then like, we'll end our meeting and we'll set it aside and we'll deal with it later. And mm -hmm. we'll like, so I think it's important to have a really clear separation between like your work life and your personal life when you're working with like a business partner that's also your friend. Yeah, I like I like that sort of, you know, that separation of church and state because, you know, both, both relationships are, are equally as important, but they also, maybe they, they don't need to intermingle. Uh, I, I love hearing that. I wanted to talk about, we've been, it's been mentioned a couple times, but uh, playing pretend that was, uh, you know, the thesis film to worked on together. Uh, Valenice, you've talked about how that was something that you had in your, in, in the past and how you related to it. And so something, uh, since we talked about that, something I did want to know was looking back on it, what are some lessons that you learned from that process that you will take on to that are that you have already taken on to your next ventures? For me, I think um, my biggest thing I learned was like learning. I need to, I, I, I write a lot in the sense that I write things that are long, like essays, mm -hmm. poems, scripts, they always go on too fucking long. And I have yeah. like, so my darlings. Um, mm -hmm. But because of that, and like the script was very unique in the sense that it was just one continuous scene. Because I always wanted to do just one long dialogue conversation and see if I can keep it in, engaging. But the issue with that in editing is that it's hard to cut things down for time. So I think the biggest lesson I learned in that is that I, I, have, I have to kill my darlings. And being able to differentiate what is really important. Because everything's important to me, but it might not be important to the audience. And mm -hmm. even though I feel like it's important because it's communicating a certain thing that they need to know and they need to establish that thing has already been communicated. Like I have a bad habit of trying to drill the same thing over and over again and make sure the point is heard when it can be done succinctly and it doesn't take so many lines. Kate, was there anything that you learned from that process that you have continued on in your ventures? Oh my God. I learned so much. I feel like from that process, that was a crazy time. That was like the biggest short film. That was the biggest production I've ever directed. Mm -hmm. um, and I just had such a great crew and such a great team and such a great cast and writer. So many things really easy, but I would say very similar to Val is like learning to, I learned to like take notes from people 
and be like, okay, like, yeah, I think this is really important, but if it's not, like, it's clearly not as important as I think it is to everybody else. So I should like cut this out. And I also learned to go back and never do like one long scene like that because like Val said, it was really difficult to cut together. Yeah. um, But yeah, I don't know. I learned a lot of stuff, but yeah, I would say like killing your darlings was the biggest lesson that I think both of us had to learn on that one. And so is your next, the next project, the next narrative that you two are working on together, is that going to be the bitch of Venice beach, which I love that title so much. Is that, is that the next upcoming project or is there something else that you guys have in the works? We're talking about it right now. There might be another potential project, but it's just dependent upon like me and my scheduling. Cause I have been quite busy, but okay. if not that, then yeah, the bitch of Venice beach is going to be the next one. And that'll definitely be, the most ambitious one by far, but okay. I think it's, it's a fun challenge and I'm like really excited about it. I'm like very passionate about it. Okay. I'm I'm very excited for whatever you two want to work on. I will I will be someone seated there. I will be one of the sad girls there waiting to watch. Uh so as we're kind of winding down, I, I end every episode with when I have you two are the first double guests I've ever had, so I had to tweak this a little bit. Usually I ask six questions to uh, my guests. I tweaked it a little bit. There's seven, but it's two, two. And then uh, actually, no, it's six. It is six. It's two, two and two. Uh, So I will go back and forth because these are not just any questions. These are the questions. So, Kate, I'm going to start with you. Okay. Okay. These can be as long as you want them to be. I've, I've had people answer them in 30 seconds or if you're Felix, some of these questions went on for like five minutes. I love him. <laughs> uh, that's no slander against him, but he he can speak. Having worked on both the crew side of things and directly in the creative, both the above the line, below the line, if you want to use that terminology, I've never liked using that terminology. Um, what have you learned about best getting a vision across as someone who has been on both sides? Communication for sure. I would say like communicating with your crew is very important. I've been on a lot of sets where um there's not communication to the i guess we'll say like below the line people and those are the people who are your foundation for your film and so it's very important to communicate with them and say like you know if they're like oh it's going to take me you know 20 minutes to set up this light you have to communicate with them and be like okay well like if you can't do 20 minutes like how can we do this in a quicker amount of time and So I think like communication is really key when it comes to that. And being a director and a cinematography has helped a cinematographer. Oh my God. um, Has helped me significantly with being able to communicate with my crew and working both as a director and then also as like a grip. It's really taught me that communication is key. Okay. Valenice, is there anything from your life as a roller skater that has translated to your creative work? Not necessarily inspiration, but some some lessons you've learned at being a roller skater that has whatever that question means to you. Actually, I won't I won't tweak it. No, I, I think it's a great question. Um, there's like a saying in skateboarding and roller skating, especially mm-hmm. the skate part. That skating is only ten percent physical and ninety percent mental. Mm-hmm. Like you don't okay. need to have done for many many years to nail a trick it's just mostly it comes down to your head space like there are tricks 
that should be I don't, like there are tricks that I just cannot get and it has nothing to do with my physical abilities it's just in here and so roller skating like I've taken that mindset of like 10% physical 90% mental and have applied it to life because I do believe that in life it really comes down to your mindset and it comes down to your perspective on things things may be like bad but it at the same time you can you still have some level of control over yourself and your mindset and just also being at the skate park just helps me let go of all my problems and just focus on what I'm doing right now and the trick that I'm doing right now and just zero in on the thing that I'm doing right now where nothing else okay. exists and I try that to apply that to my projects where like this is what I'm doing now I'm in a state of flow this is the only thing that exists. The only thing stopping me is me. I can, even if it comes out bad, at least I did it. Even if I don't hit the trick, at least I try and I'll just keep doing it, doing it until I get it again. Okay. That's, that's exactly the kind of answer I was looking for. That's all. Yeah. That was one of the first questions I had when I was starting the notes for you guys. I had, that was one of the first questions that popped into my mind. That was a really good question. I like Thank that. You. And I like oh. your answer, Val. Thank you. That was, yeah, that was, that was an awesome answer. Kate, back to you. You spoke a little bit about being both a director and a DP. Um, are those, is that, do you want to keep that, those two roles paired together? Do you see yourself pursuing one or the other? And what are the advantages and disadvantages of both being the DP and the director at the same time? Uh, what, what has been the learning curve with combining those two roles? Um, I, the, the ultimate dream goal is to direct narrative stuff, narrative features, or shoot narrative features, mm -hmm. and then direct and shoot at the same time music videos. Okay. Um, for Playing Pretend, I was the director and cinematographer. And whew, <laughs> that was a choice. That was a decision. Um, it was a lot. I was very overwhelmed. Um, and I think one thing that I learned from playing pretend was like, probably don't try to do that again. Uh, but it's really hard when you do both to kind of give up the control over that because mm -hmm. as a director and a cinematographer, I have such a strong vision for like what I want. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I could do both of them. So why would I like, you know, have somebody yeah. else do it when I could do it? But it's a very selfish way of looking at it, I guess. It's It was definitely very difficult to do. There are a lot of challenges, like uh, not having enough time with your talent because you're focusing on what the visuals are looking like or like, you know, not being able to focus on the visuals as much because you're focusing on the performances your talent is giving. So those are like the disadvantages. But I would say the advantages are that you get to create exactly what you want and you okay. don't have to have that extra step in between of like communicating with somebody else what you want but i would say another disadvantage is the fact that you don't have like a second opinion to be mm -hmm. like hey what do you think about doing like a push out instead of just a static shot you know so mm -hmm. it's definitely beneficial to work with somebody else on music videos it's a lot easier because there's not as much um, direction that you have to give. There's still obviously direction that you have to give, mm -hmm. but it's a lot more manageable working on music videos because they're a lot shorter also. And, you know, I don't know, but I wouldn't go back and change anything about playing pretend. Yeah. And um, I love directing and shooting at the same time. It's, it's super fun and the thrill of it all, you know? 
Yeah, I was going to say, uh, my back hurts just staring at the monitor and holding a script. I don't know if I'd be able to lug around the camera all day, too. Like, that that's my worst nightmare. My back is hurting right now thinking about that. I would say, if you're going to do both, get a camera operator for sure. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That, that, anybody who has any inspirations, write that note, or aspirations, I say, write that note right now. Uh, yeah. Because that, that does not sound like a walk in the park. Yeah. So back to you, Valenice. This is a question that also hit very recently. And I, I something I think about with my own works um, as someone who acts out and has acted out their own material that they've written. What does that do for your performance? Do you feel closer to the material? Do you stick to exactly what you wrote? Or do you feel a certain creative license to change up the text just here and there because you're literally the author of that very text for me honestly like i i love acting and i would like to keep doing it but it's it feels like i'm completing what i started you know mm -hmm. like i i feel like acting and writing have a lot in common in terms of the creative process it takes to get there like with writing you have to figure out the character's motivation who they are what makes them tick their personality, you know, like their mannerisms and stuff like that. Like, and then the same thing goes with acting. You have to understand what their goal is, find a way to relate to it. And then when I'm writing, whenever I write my characters, there's always like a piece of me in it. Like all my mm -hmm. characters are like either my friends or my family or pieces of them together, or pieces of people I've met or people that inspire me. So there's like a lot of heart that I put into it in the same way. Like, so then when I get like, I'm acting it out, it feels like, I don't know. It's just like, it feels like I'm completing that. Like I'm seeing it um, mm -hmm. start to finish because acting does have it evolve. I find that acting it out, even like talking to myself as I'm writing, it helps me too, because then I can hear the character and I can tweak dialogue if it doesn't okay. come off the right way. I think that answered your question. I might've gotten. Sometimes this podcast turns into therapy for me. And I think that was a little bit of creative therapy as, as someone who has acted out some of his own work and uh, plans to do that in the future. I think that kind of unlocks something in my in my head a little bit that I hadn't thought about that idea of it being a way to see things to fruition that I hadn't I had never envisioned it uh, that way. It just um the characters like feel super real that way like they feel like real people that I'm like actually friends with like especially like Lauren and Bobby like they feel like they're my homies you know like <laughs> even the bitch of Venice Beach like she feels like someone I'd be friends with like someone I see at the skate park all the time or okay. whatever what have you these you two can collaborate on these you can volley back and forth but these i have i already asked one of them so there's only two so for both of you what's some of the best advice you've gotten from mentors related to your field and is there any advice you've gone against oh that's a really good question i know i've gotten so much good advice so i'm like Oh, okay. Um, I have one. I, I'm sure I'll come up with a better answer later on when I'm like, <laughs> fuck, why didn't I say that? But um, it wasn't necessarily a mentor. It was like something I read in like an essay. Mm -hmm. um, and it was um, right as if no one's going to read it, like right as if no one is ever going to see what you're writing and then edit as if everyone and their mother's going to see it. Okay. So about my writing. <laughs> And like make it um, more honest. I find the more honest yeah. I am with myself, the more honest or the more people can relate to it, which is cool. Mm. One thing that's really stuck with me, this might sound like really silly, but it's also from a book. I, I've gotten so much great advice from my mentors. I hope they're not out there like thinking like, why didn't she what say that? <laughs> you know? But something that stuck with me that was like really silly, it's from a book called 
I think it's called like why not to go to film school and it's just a book about like everything you need to know about filmmaking pretty yeah. much essentially like without going to film school um and I did go to film school but I read the book as well gotta mm. get both sides you know yeah um but I remember she wrote about always making sure in the morning if you're directing a set that you bring coffee and donuts. And that's something that I've done every single time oh, yeah. I did a set. Like that's just stuck with me because it's such, it seems like such a tiny thing. Yeah. But, like it really says to your crew, like, hey, I care about you guys and like yeah. I'm here for you. And like, you know, it's just a nice thing to do for your crew. And like, I guess like what I learned from that book, the advice that I got was to like really appreciate the people who you're working with because at the end of the day, like they're helping you make your movie and like it's everyone's movie at the end of the day. I can't think of any advice that I've gone against though. Mm -hmm. um, there are a couple oh, of yeah. times in pen where they gave us notes and I just left it in because I was like, you know what? Like, screw it. <laughs> this is like oh, what man. I want. I'm going to do what I those want. Those notes rooms were, uh, those oh, were something. Yeah. I feel like when it comes to like criticism, I've learned mm -hmm. in life, like just by writing classes when I would just sit there and get like, you know, like critiques and whatnot. There are such thing as dumb opinions. There are some <laughs> dumb opinions, like really dumb opinions that have to do with your art. And I learned that there are some opinions you don't have to accept. There are some critiques that you don't have to listen to. A lot of it can be valid, but some of them are stupid and there's no sense in pleasing everyone because then like, then you're going to come out with like this Frankenstein monster, like project or whatever it is. Yeah. Like there are some opinions that are stupid. Oh, oh cat. Sorry, <laughs> I get really excited. Um, I like that little, that little bit there of, uh, yeah. When it came time to edit my thesis, uh, I think there was a lot of times we got notes and we didn't like the note, but we did it anyways. Almost, I don't want to say out of spite, but we <laughs> kind of did it out of spite so that the next week when we would show it, they would go, oh, maybe that was dumb. And then we're like, yeah, maybe it was. We're going to go back to how it was. Yeah. Um, and so I'm really happy how this is all shaken out because there's a different final question. I think it's the perfect question to end on. I would love for you to, to, to tell me what is the Lana Del Rey of it all? Is she the avatar, the spirit of Sad Girl Cinema? I want to know. You invited her to a mixer. I want to know <laughs> what what does she exemplify that that resonates so much with you two? I would love to hear it. She's the OG Sad Girl. <laughs> I think, like for me, what I really like about Lana's work is that, like, a she's like chosen her aesthetic and stuck with it, and has refined it and has aged with it. But also, what I really like about her work is how honest it is. And mm -hmm. like a lot of people will think like, oh, it's melodramatic, but it's just, it's so honest. And she's yeah. so truthful about how she feels and the experiences that she has. And you can feel that. And it, it feels like it's in a sense, your own experience too. So I really respect her honesty. And also like her fucking lyrics are immaculate. Like she's like Hell good yeah. at work. Like she's very, she's very smart. I like her philosophical takes on life. I like her takes on femininity. They're very different compared to like the strong bad bitch kind of trope that we see a lot she's like very honest and soft in it which i respect a lot yeah lana's she's a baddie like what she is no I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um well yeah that is the 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 best way to go out i, I want to thank you both again so very much for doing this uh is there anything you'd like to the plug the socials anything 
anything upcoming it just whatever whatever if you want to plug a, a deal at a sandwich shop that you like is there anything you would like to plug yeah follow us on instagram and tiktok at sad girl cinemas to stay updated on all of our you know current films coming out our mixers we host a lot of really fun mixers networking so, fun time. so yeah that's that's what i gotta plug and joe's pizza that's my favorite pizzeria <laughs> out here. check it out if you haven't yet coming from okay. the east poster you know uh Valenice, is there anything you'd like to add or was that succinct enough couldn't have said it better myself <laughs> well thank you both so much for joining uh i i loved having you if you two ever want to come back to talk about anything else uh, the door is always open so thank huh? you both so much for doing this uh this has been not just a guy and i have been your host not just a guy the guy garrett Briones. you can follow me on the socials if you want i don't just it's on the Do screen it. uh, um I, but I, yes <laughs> this guy the guy uh but yes i'll do it and i'll talk at you all next time this has been a not just a guy production